Well, a few years ago, I took Gina on a date. We came home, we uh, released the babysitter, and we heard a voice on the staircase. And the voice said, hello, robber. It was my five-year-old daughter. She thought that Gina and I were burglars that had broken into the house. So we had to have a little talk with her, and we said, Bryn, when, if there was a burglar in the house, you wouldn't want to make friends with the burglar. You would want to scream or hide or do something else, right? You don't want to offer cookies and soda to the burglar, you know? And she was like, okay, Dad, you know, that makes sense. And um, I thought, you know, many times... Many times we want to be friends with the things that we should be running from. And today we're talking about fear, and fear is not our friend. Fear is our foe. And we've been in a series over the last week or so called Stronger Than Ever. And today I want to share with you a message called Stronger Than Fear. Fear is, is certainly not our friend. It brings so much destruction in our life. It paralyzes our ability to do the will of God. It causes us to be anxious. It causes us to doubt. It makes us lose physical and spiritual energy and strength. And it really distracts us from the heart of God and his purposes and plans for our lives. How can we be victorious? How can we be people that truly have strength over our fears, because fear is a nasty foe, isn't it? Uh, I want us to look today in the 34th Psalm, because in the 34th Psalm, there's a verse of Scripture that I think unlocks some powerful truths for us about this, uh, because fear dominates us. It freaks us out, and oftentimes we want to cozy up with fear because maybe that's all we've ever known. Maybe it's comfortable. Maybe living uh, with great fear in your life has just been something you've just done for so many years. That's what you know. And you know, when you get stressed out, you do what you know. And so some of us have lived under the bondage and the weight of fear for so long that we don't even, we don't even believe that we could live without being in fear. Uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, God has not given you a spirit of fear but one of power, love, and a sound mind. And a spirit of fear means that you're controlled by it. So if we're controlled by fear, how can we break free from that? This story um, from the life of King David is powerful. Um, he writes a psalm about an experience he had in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 21. D uh, David has been anointed the second king of Israel but he hasn't taken the throne yet. And he's been a general and he's been a servant in the, in the kingdom of Saul, his predecessor. Saul becomes jealous of him, tries to kill him. David flees for his life. He actually goes to the land of the Philistines in Gath. Gath is uh, the land of the enemies. And David knows that if he tries to hide out in Israel, that somebody's going to report him to Saul and he's going to lose his life. So he's so desperate, he actually goes to the enemies. How many of you know things are bad in your life if you go to the people that want to kill you and look for security? Amen? I mean, it's bad. Okay. And, and um, when he gets there to Gath, um, he's totally freaking out and thinking they're going to kill him. He's trying to hide. Somebody recognizes him, brings him to the king of Gath. And this is one of the greatest, 
this is just truly one of the greatest stories of the Old Testament. David plays like he's insane. He starts writing weird things on the city gates. He starts convulsing. He lets saliva run down his beard. He acts like a madman. You know, I mean, David should have gotten an Oscar for this performance because when the king of Gath saw the insanity of David, he said, I got enough crazy people in my kingdom. I don't need one more. Let him go. And it was out of that experience that David penned the words of Psalm 34. Psalm 34 is about a huge experience that King David had with fear. He thought he was going to be handed over to the enemy and die, but God delivered him. Let's look together at Psalm 34, 4. Check it out. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he rescued me from all of my fears. Let me read it again. I sought the Lord, he answered me, and he rescued me from all my fears. And I want us to see three things today. You need to write this down. This is a note-taking day. You're going to love this. Check it out. Number one, he says, I sought the Lord. I sought him. Um, <clears throat> look at that first phrase. I sought the Lord. You ought to underline that. I sought the Lord. David is seeking after God. How do I find freedom from fear? I seek the Lord. I, I got I to seek after God, I, I got I to gotta go find him. You know, we live in a time where a lot of people love to hear great worship music. People love to hear great sermons and Bible studies, and we love to be entertained. But do we truly have a heart that is seeking after God? And, and to seek after God means to go after him. I mean, we wake up in the morning, we're thinking about the things of God. We're going to bed at night, man. We're seeking after God. We're praying. We're, we're, we're meditating on scripture. We're, we're seeking after God. If you want to be delivered from fear, you got to be a person who is seeking after God. And David says, I sought the Lord. Um, we got to seek the Lord daily. But why would I seek God? Sometimes people say, well, what? what's the big deal? You know, I'm religious, you know. I go to church sometimes. I watch on Facebook. Why do I need to really like seek after God? And I think uh, Psalm 34, 10, if you skip down two verses, it says it like this. The young lions lack food and go hungry, but those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. How about that? Why should I seek God? If you will develop a heart that seeks after the things of God, you will lack no good thing. He says there's a lot of people who are starving, spiritually speaking, who are starving, but if you will seek God, your life will be filled and there won't be anything that you truly lack or need that God cannot take care of. So that's why we should seek God. You'll, you'll lack no good thing. And you know, if God is not doing something in your life that you think he should be doing, guess what? It's not as good as you thought it was. Because if it was truly a good thing, God would already be doing it. Amen? Don't we chase a lot of things? We're like, oh God, I got to have this. Lord God, you know? Man, you will lack no good thing if you'll just develop a heart to seek the Lord. 
Sometimes we seek the Lord for what the Lord might do for us. We need to have a heart that is purely seeking the Lord. God, whatsoever your will is. God, whatever you want me to do. I don't have an agenda, Lord. I'm going to seek the Lord, but God, here's really my five things I need you to do by tomorrow afternoon, you know? Seeking God is just bringing ourselves before the presence of the living God and submitting ourselves to him and saying, God, here's my life. I got some problems. I have some needs. God, whatever you want me to do, I'm open. Just give me some direction. I am seeking the Lord. Uh, a great example of this is, is, is seen over in 2 Chronicles 26, a guy named Uzziah. It says uh, Uzziah was 16 years old when he became the king and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jecoliah and she was from Jerusalem and he did what was right in the Lord's sight as his father Amaziah had done. And he sought God throughout the lifetime of Zechariah, the teacher of the fear of God. During that time that he sought the Lord, God gave him success. That's awesome. Everybody's like, yeah, good job. Way to go. Because a lot of the kings didn't serve the Lord. But you know what? The commentary goes south. If you skip down to verse 16 of 2 Chronicles chapter 26, it says, but when he became strong, he grew arrogant, and it led to his own destruction. When he was a young man, when Zechariah was mentoring him, he had a heart to seek God, and God prospered him, and God blessed him, and God watched over him, and God strengthened him. You know what? After all these blessings mounted up, he got arrogant and cocky. He began to think that it was all about him. And what happened? His heart drifted from God. You know, if we're not careful, the great blessings that God has poured out on our life that are all from him can make us think we are self-sufficient and can actually redirect us away from the things of God. Let's don't be so foolish to do that. Um, we got to have a heart that seeks after God. And in verse 16, it says, but when he was strong, he was not lifted up. You know, in other words, when he got strong in his own might, he wasn't as strong as he thought that he was. And sometimes we see people that really the hand of God's on their life and they're seeking God. And we just think, well, she was born that way. She's just a great person. But you know what? If God's blessing somebody, it's because they're seeking him. That is not by accident. Guess what? Every one of us in this room can be a person that seeks after God. You don't have to be like a Navy SEAL of the Christian life to seek after God. You know, the prophet Jeremiah says, if, if you'll seek me, you'll find, find me. If you'll seek for me with all of your heart, you know, if you'll just be a seeker of God, God will begin to deliver you of your fears. You know what? It'll take your eyes off of your problems and it will begin to put them on God. That is always a great recipe for freedom. God doesn't want you to live under the weight of fear. How many of us know we do some crazy things under fear, don't we? Can't sleep at night, anxious, snappy at people, uptight. You know, God didn't want you to live that way. Become a person who seeks after God. Be a seeker. <clears throat> I first got associated with seeking God when I was in college. I was a part of a Bible study group on our campus. 
And every Saturday night, we used to get together for prayer. By the way, college students are doing a lot of other things on Saturday nights. But we had the Bible study crew, and we would get together, and we would seek God. And, and that was the, one of the first times I'd ever prayed with people for sometimes an hour or more. I mean, it was intense. It was a great time. We saw God do so many wonderful things. You know, that's what the church is about. It's about seeking God together. I hope that's where your heart is today. I know God's going to deliver you from the bondage of fear as we seek God. He says, and God answered me. So he says, I sought the Lord, and then God answered me. Isn't that great? It wasn't like he sought the Lord and God ignored him. God answered him. And sometimes when we ask God for things, we think that the only answer is yes. But God does not always give us every single thing that we want when we need it. Maybe you can look back on the history of your spiritual life, and you recognize you prayed for some things that, that God didn't give you, and you're like, man, thank you, God. I didn't see all that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for not answering that prayer request. Sometimes we tell our kids no. If you're a parent, I know you tell your kids no. A few years ago, my daughter was a little girl. Uh, it was around the time she was welcoming burglars, you know, into the house. She she went to the dentist, and she smiled really big. We were working on communication with adults, okay? Make eye contact, smile, speak assertively and confidently, those kind of things. And she looked at the dentist, and she said, Mr. Dentist, one shiny gold tooth, please. And the dentist looked at us and looked at Gina and said, well, do you, you know, does she need a gold tooth? And Gina said, no, she doesn't need a gold tooth. No gold tooth that day. It was a cool idea. It was something that she thought that she had to have, but in reality, well, it wasn't all that. Sometimes we ask God for shiny gold tooths, don't we? God, I got to have it. Now, there's a few prayers that God always answers yes to, okay? I love this. Check this out. James 1.5, if you ask for wisdom, the answer from God is always yes. Hallelujah. If you ask God for forgiveness, guess what the answer is? It's always yes. If you ask God for eternal life in Christ Jesus, guess what? The answer is always yes. So there are some things that the scripture tells us the answer is always a big hearty amen, a thumbs up. But there's some other things that we pray for and ask God for. And God may say, wait. We hate that one, don't we? Yes, but not now. Sometimes we ask God for other things that maybe we think that we need. And God says, no, that's not a good thing. That's a shiny gold tooth. You don't really need that. Sometimes God says, no. We have to trust him. You know what? When you have a heart that is seeking after God, you're ready to receive the yeses and the noes from God. And you're good with it. Um, some prayers are answered instantly and others over time. I mean, so there's been times I've prayed about things for a day or two and it's like, bang. There's been things I've prayed for for decades and I still haven't really got the answer that I was hoping for. You know, So some things are quick, some things are slow. But I do trust the Lord. 
Um, Psalm 84.11 says, for, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield, and the Lord grants favor and honor, and he does not withhold any good thing from those who live with integrity. It's kind of like the other psalm that we just read as well. If God's not giving it to you, it must not be a good thing. So David is scared out of his mind. He has to go before the king of Gath, and he's afraid. Uh, but, but I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, okay, look, I've been seeking God. I've been asking God. I've been pleading with God. And God is not answering my prayers. I mean, uh, you know, maybe God's not getting the messages in heaven. Maybe I'm on hold. Maybe I'm dialing the wrong number. Um, my prayers are not connecting in some way. And if you've ever felt that way, maybe you thought, well, you know, I want to get married. I want to meet somebody, but I'm not even getting asked out on a date. Or, or maybe you need some type of physical healing, but, but you feel as sick as you've ever felt. Um, maybe you feel stuck at a job or stuck at a marriage and you're asking God for help, but nothing's changing. Um, have you ever wondered if God was listening? God, why aren't you doing something? God, where are you? And it's great that David got his prayer answered, but what about my prayers? Maybe you've thought that before. Well, James 1.6 gives us a little insight here. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. So one of the things we do, we ask in faith. Are we, are we praying in faith? Are we believing you know, you can pray about things and not really believe. You can ask God for something and, and not really believe that he's going to hear your prayer. Um, is it the right time? Does God have something better for you? There can be so many other reasons. Um, but we should not be discouraged because when God answers, he answers in a big way. And you may not be receiving the answer that you want in one area of your life. And God may be raining down blessing in another area of your life. And I would tell you, celebrate the blessings and the yeses and keep seeking God after the things that maybe haven't been resolved. And don't give up. I sought the Lord and he answered me. Isn't it great to know that God does answer prayer? There's a lot of people that are theistic, that believe in God, but really don't believe that God intervenes or interacts in any way in our life. I got to tell you, I think that's a very depressing way to live. If life was simply up to me, wow, that would be scary. It'd be real scary. But we have a great God. God's going to answer you. God's going to answer you. Many times, yes. Other times, not now. Sometimes, no. That's okay. Because God has every good thing Intended for us. God wants you to be blessed. Look, God is not holding back on you. Sometimes we wonder, well, man, does God really want me to have good things in my life if I prayed about this one thing and it didn't happen like I thought? Absolutely he does. If God's not answering this request with a big yes, God has something else that's better for you. You just haven't realized it yet. So he says, I sought the Lord and God answered me. And he says, and he delivered me from all my, all my fears. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, rescued. I mean, that, that, God delivered 
David's freaking out. He's in the hands of the enemy king of Gath. He's playing like he's insane. He's not insane. That's clever, by the way. I love that. You know what? When you seek the Lord, you will have, cle- you will have a clever mind. Where did David come up with that? That's just bizarre, isn't it? I'm going to fake it insanity, you know? And that king in Gath, I guess he was kind of stressed out because he had some people in his kingdom that were already kind of crazy. And he was like, I got enough crazy around here. Just I don't want to mess with this crazy, so let him go. And God rescued him from all of his fears. Now, fear is really not rational. Here's one of the bad things about fear. It causes us to do things that don't make any sense. I I read this um, from a research report the other day. The researchers found out that 40% of the things that we worry about never happen. 30% are in the past and cannot be changed. 12% Uh, involve the affairs of others and are not even our business. 10% of our worries relate to sickness, real or imagined, and that leaves only 8% of things that we worry about are even likely to happen. What if we just started to worry about the 8%? What if we cut out 92% of the things we worried about? Would you think that your life would be a little bit better? You think you would have a little more joy? You think you'd have a little more peace in your own spirit and your heart when you woke up in the morning and when you laid your head on the pillow at night? You know, why, why, are, you worried about, why are you worried about things in the past that you, have, you can't do anything about that? That's already done. Why are you worried about things you have no control over? Why are you worried about things you can't do anything about? Why are you worried about things that probably won't even happen? But we spend so much time And God wants to deliver us from all of our fears. Notice he says all of our fears, not some of our fears. Amen? I mean, the word doesn't say, and he will deliver us from a few of our fears. And I will deliver you from all of your fears. I mean, all of them. All means what? It means all of them. It means all. (laughs) We have a cat by the name of Midnight. Midnight's a... She's a black cat, so we called her Midnight. Midnight was kind of a, um, how do I say this? She was like a reject cat. Can you say that? Uh, At PetSmart, um, she was there one Saturday afternoon, and I said, tell me about Midnight. And they said, well, she was with a family that had like four or five cats, and Midnight was always hiding all the time, and so they returned her. Like there was something wrong with her. They brought the cat back. They're like, we don't want her. You can keep her, so... Of course, we took Midnight. Midnight's a sweet cat, but she's very nervous. I mean, you know, if you've heard the term scaredy cat, this is, this is Midnight. And I know cats are kind of nervous anyway. My cat's like super nervous. She loves tummy rubs, but if you approach her too quickly, even if she's rolled over waiting for you to come and rub her, she'll jump up and she'll run off. Very nervous cat. They were putting a new roof on our house a few weeks ago. Oh, that about drove her insane. People stomping around. Oh, it was crazy. She was paranoid. One time she got so nervous we were trying to pick her up, she jumped off the upper level of the house into the entryway. I mean, she just jumped. She skipped the stairs. Just, you know, I was like, oh, my goodness. Is she going to have a broken leg? She was, she was good. She was good. One time Gina's parents were visiting 
and they had a little dog. I think it's like a Shih Tzu. Is that a small dog? I don't know a lot about dogs. Yeah, kind of an innocent dog, not a Doverman Pinscher, a Shih Tzu. And she arched her back and she hissed and she swatted him on the nose. You know, I was like, can you be a little bit more hospitable to the family? Come on now. Always nervous. Always nervous. Always afraid. She has a, a, a special path. Our stairs to the second floor make a 90 degree turn. And she'll skip the first little section of stairs by jumping on a table, cutting through the spindles, darting up the remainder of the stairs. She's got it figured out. She's a smart cat. But she's, she's just always nervous. And why is she so jumpy and nervous? It doesn't really make sense. You know, fear doesn't make sense sometimes. I'm like, you know, midnight, we're not trying to eat you. You know, I mean, it could be much worse. Nobody's hurting you or abusing you and you're still nervous. Sometimes our lives are a lot like midnight. We're jumpy about all of the things that aren't even really going to happen. We're, we're nervous about the things that we have no control over. And we have the scaredy cat syndrome when it comes to fear. Fear doesn't make any sense, does it? Have you ever worried about something and you're like, why am I even worrying about that in the first place? And then you start worrying again, you know? It's not logical. It's not logical at all. But he says, all of my fears. What are some of my fears? Sometimes we have the fear of commitment. The fear of commitment. A lot of relationships today are struggling because people have the fear of commitment. I was in one relationship and that didn't work out and I got baggage and I haven't dealt with that. So I can't make a commitment. The fear of commitment. But you can't have a dynamic life without making a commitment. Life is full of commitments. We have to make commitments. We have to make commitments at work. We have to make commitments to a church. We have to make commitments to relationships. Or guess what? We have none of the blessings that flow from those things. The antidote is that relationships that didn't work in the past are opportunities for us to learn. I can learn from the past. I don't have to live there. Man, commitment is a great thing. God wants you to be committed to Christ. And the spiritual blessings that we all desire come in and through commitment. But commitment can be a scary thing. All my fears. What about, what about money fears? Anybody here ever worry about money? You get a bill in the mail and you start getting nervous. Or you get that email and you go into denial and... Is it any coincidence that 38 of Jesus' parables dealt with money and possessions? I don't think so. Uh, there's, there's five times more teaching on money from Jesus than he did on prayer. And there's 500 verses about prayer and fasting in the Bible compared to 2,000 on money and possessions from Jesus' teachings. Why did Jesus talk so much about money? Because he knew how stressed and how fearful that we would fear that we would be about our finances. What's the antidote? I think the antidote is generosity. Luke 6.38 says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured out into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. 
This is, this is the teaching of Jesus. If you struggle with the fear of money, begin to practice generosity. Guess what it'll do? It'll, it'll, it'll make you begin to operate in faith. What about the fear of failure? You know, the fear of failure. The fear of failure is one of the top fears people have. That ranks up there with public speaking, death, rejection, aloneness, and financial problems. Um, the fear of failure. But you know, what's worse? I, to me, I think it's much worse to not at least try. The antidote is us giving God our very, very best and letting the results lie with him. So let's not let the fear of failure. What are you not doing simply because you're afraid I would fail? Move forward in bold faith and don't live there. What about the fear of people? What are people going to say about me? What is my family going to think about me? What are my friends going to say? What is my boss going to do if I do this? Psalm 118.6 says, The Lord is for me, I will not be afraid. What can a mere mortal do to me? Ultimately, we should fear God, not people. And listen, if you're going to be a person that lives in bold faith and doesn't live captured by fear, you have to hold the opinions of others very, very loosely. Yeah, there's a place to talk to folks and to get counsel and to get feedback and all that. I'm for all those things. But ultimately, we have to make decisions for our lives that are based on what we believe God is saying to us. A few years ago, we moved here to start Ed Church. Some of our family, some of our friends didn't feel like we should move to Colorado and start Edge Church. We did it anyway. And we had a lot of other people that supported us. And now those people have come around and they're like, yeah, y'all got it right. That was good. <laughs> Are you willing to be a person that can go against the grain and maybe push the boundaries of what everybody else is telling you to do because you really believe that the Lord is leading you in a certain direction. Let's don't live with the fear of people. What about the fear of missing out? I was talking with someone a few months ago. They were involved in using drugs and, you know, living in promiscuity and just, you know, kind of just doing a lot of the things that our culture says we ought to do. And I asked about it, and he said, I got the fear of missing out. I feel like I'm going to die one day, and there's going to be some great experience on this earth that I didn't have. And I said, there's nothing, there's nothing that is more sad than living a life that's controlled and dominated by our own sin and our own flesh. Man, what God wants to offer you is so much greater. You don't have to go do all that stuff to have a great life. A great life is knowing Christ. 
A great life is having the Lord in your life. Knowing God is greater than any other experience you could have on this earth. You ain't missing out on nothing. In fact, you're missing out on the hand and the blessing of God in your own life. The antidote, God is enough. Now, what is the antidote to these fears? I believe that it's faith. It's our faith. If you go to Ephesians chapter 6, in verse 16, he says, In every situation, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. It's the only part of the armor of God that gets a description. He says, put on the helmet of salvation, put on the breastplate of righteousness, take up the sword of the Spirit. That's all awesome. With the shield of faith, he gives a little explanation. He says, you can extinguish all of the fiery Flaming arrows of the evil one. Now in ancient times, in the first century, Roman, Roman warriors would take their shields. Many times they were like four feet you know, tall and, and, and maybe a couple of feet wide. The shield was used best when it was locked with the other shields of the Roman, of the Roman army. So a battalion would lock all of their shields together... And they would move in unison. Some would put their shields over the top as they marched. Others would hold the shields down low. And the way that they stayed safe is they covered, they covered all the gaps. They, they, they interlocked. They, they, they kept the shields together in such a way that it provided cover. That, guys, that's the church. The church is, is you and I marching together, shield connected to shield, connected to shield, and moving forward in faith. Now, sometimes these arrows were flaming. Sometimes they would dip them in poison. And if it just kind of grazed your arm, sometimes the poison could get into the bloodstream and kill you. So the shield was so important. And the Apostle Paul says it's the shield of faith that's going to extinguish all of the fiery darts of the enemy. Um, I love this great quote from uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. He said, faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that great? That's what faith is. And when you have faith, you hold up that shield and you extinguish all the fiery darts of the enemy that make you want to think your life is going to fail and that you're never going to rise above the power of fear in your life. So what do we do? I sought him. He answered me. He delivered me. Let's don't be friends with fear because fear is our foe. Would you pray with me for a moment?